0: You know, people often say that that Gandhi and Jesus had a lot in common. And while we know that some similarities existed between them, uh, we know that they also had some pretty stark differences, including their diverging attitudes about food. Gandhi seemed to have a rather strained and fickle relationship with food. He held the view that the taste for food was actually linked to sexual appetite. And both were inherently vulgar, debased, and in pure desires to be squelched. In his mind, the disciplined man lives in a state of perpetual partial fasting, relying on meager portions in his grim fight against the inherited and acquired habit of eating for pleasure. And on the other hand, we know that Jesus, the Son of Man, Came eating and drinking. Jesus came, as we talked a little bit about last week, he came to both seek and to save the lost. This was his very purpose for coming to this earth, but his method or how he came or his strategy for mission was through food. And while we can't reduce the church and its mission to shared meals alone, we should see that meals play a vital role since the mission of God has been built around table fellowship. In his book, Eating Your Way Through the Gospel, Robert Karras concludes in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Jesus likes food amazing all the conversations I've had about food this past week. Maybe you have as well as as part of Kicked Off by the Series. Just just last night, um, maybe some of you saw, I, I put some pictures up on Facebook of being at the Red Sox game. And not only were we at the Red Sox game, but we were in the suite booth for the Red Sox game. And never have I been pampered like that. Just to give you an idea, when we walked into this long, narrow suite, and the field is kind of like past the window, the first wave of food was sitting on this table, lobster, ready to make lobster rolls out of, jumbo shrimp, and clam chowder. That was the warm-up. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about, I, I got into conversation with, like, we went with my parents, my family, all went down, Danielle went with us, got into this conversation about, you know, food and Jesus and And Jesus' primary strategy, and my dad was asking, well, what are you talking about with this food thing? He's like, is that the the series, is all around food? I said, yes, yes it is. Because the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus gives us the best uh, kind of uh, example here as to why we're talking about food. Uh, Hopefully this has been ruminating in your head, maybe in your stomach, but this idea of food is really, really something that I personally, as I've been going through this, have really come to appreciate even more as linked to the Christian life, the Christian walk. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright captured something of this sentiment when he wrote, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. Hopefully you're beginning to see this pattern, but the meals of Jesus represent something much bigger than food for food's sake. In Jesus' ministry, food fuses together the importance of community and mission. I love how Eugene Peterson observed that at the heart of the Christian story is a pattern of being blessed, broken, and given. In his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, Peterson rightly insists this is the shape of the Eucharist. This is the shape of the gospel. This is the shape of of the Christian life. And so what I want to do this morning is adapt his framework for talking about the table in all three of those spaces: blessing, brokenness, and givenness. And this as an embodiment of our mission as followers of Jesus. So first, the table as a place of blessing. See, I'm I'm becoming increasingly convinced that food is one of God's love languages. Think about it for a second. The average human has around 10,000 taste buds. And the only explanation that I can conceive for why that would be is that God loves us. Like, he really loves us. I mean, after all, it did not have to be this way, right? It did not have to be this way. God did not have to make us capable of experiencing such delight. He could have made us the sort of creatures for whom food is merely fuel for work, but he didn't do that. Or he could have just provided one type of food to sustain us. Imagine just if you just ate like, a, like some sort of bland biscuit over and over and over and over and over again. And that was the only source of food and nourishment you got. And that's how God designed it. Thankfully, God didn't do that. And He, he, he expressed His love to us even in giving us 10,000 taste buds. There's so many ways that God has gone over the top and we now know that the world is way more delicious than it ever needed to be. I I, I was reminded of that last night. (laughs) It was unbelievable. I wish we could have all just taken a field trip together. Because, you know, it's like, amen. (laughs) The table is a place to remember the blessing of God. When you sit at your table with whoever it is, your family, your friends, however it comes about, when you sit down to eat a meal, we should remember the blessings of God. We should remember it didn't have to be this way. It didn't, he didn't have to do it this way. You know, one ancient prayer of the church uh, says, blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, for you give us food to sustain our lives and make our hearts glad. We know that meals were central to the life of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, um, it, ge- it provides us window into their rhythm. I want to read this, Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 46. And day by day, pick up on that. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See, the meetings of the apostolic churches were shared meals. It's not that they had a church potluck every so often or a meal before or after their meeting. Their meetings were actually meals. This is how they organized. And it's, it's worth noting that at the center of the spiritual lives of God's people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find a table. The table of Passover and the table of of communion. And, and more on that in week four, or the last part of our series, we're gonna be talking about that, uh, the Eucharist or communion. Um, this is like the, the pivotal moment of, of what it means to eat and engage. When we think about communion, when we think about gathering around a shared meal that reminds us of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what he asks us to remember. Come back for week four on that. That's gonna be a great week. Rediscovering the table as a place of blessing and gathering with people around our tables for the purpose of enjoying a meal as a gift is something that we ought to be more aware of and we ought to do more regularly. These gatherings, they don't have to be lavish spreads. They can actually be quite simple. But especially for believers, followers of Jesus, meals like this are vital to our present experience of a future reality a kingdom to come in which we will sit at a banquet feast experiencing the complete blessing of Jesus. All right, let's talk about the table as a place of brokenness. I thought Albie did a really good job sharing some insights of this story a few weeks back, but I thought it would be worth reiterating as we think about eating and engaging. There's a powerful meal scene that takes place on the Sea of Galilee, and it's right after Jesus' resurrection. It's recorded in John chapter 21. And after a futile night of fishing, the disciples encounter Jesus who called them out from the shore. Acting impulsively as always, Peter jumps out of the boat, fully clothed, in an effort to get to Jesus. And as he emerges from the sea, I just picture him just dripping, sopping wet. He moves towards Jesus, who made this fire on the beach. And at that moment, he smells a hauntingly familiar smell. The word that John, the storyteller, used is found in only one other place in Scripture, earlier in that narrative. John chapter 18 records it. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. This is the fire that Peter and others warmed themselves around the night of Jesus' arrest and before his trial. This charcoal fire was the place of Peter's denial of Jesus. For Peter, shame had a smell. But this charcoal fire on the shore was different because it was the place of Peter's restoration. The simple invitation of Jesus to his friend, and this always gets me. He says, Come and have breakfast. See, there's amazing things that can happen over meals, including the restoration of relationships. And we all, like Peter, stumble after Jesus. We stumble. And we desperately need people who will journey with us in our stumbling to practice the way of Jesus together. The table is a place where we can be reconciled to one another. I say can, doesn't always mean it happens. But the the place of food and eating and engaging is part of the way that I think Jesus designed us to be reconciled. Not only to him, as Peter highlights and shows us, being reconciled to Jesus, the Son of God, over a meal. Well, how much more can we be reconciled to one another as followers of Jesus over a meal how about the the table as a place of givenness as followers of jesus we are people who are blessed broken and given we're given this part of our identity reminds us that we are given to the world god's mission is to rescue and renew his good but broken creation and we are swept up in that mission and called to participate in it by announcing and embodying the love of Jesus. Here's a big idea for you as, you as you think about all this together. Meals embody and enact the mission of God. Meals embody and enact the mission of God. I'm convinced that our tables have the potential to be the most missional places in all of our lives. I'm, I'm pretty convinced at this point. And so maybe before we invite people to Jesus, or maybe before we invite people to a church gathering, maybe we should just invite them to dinner. Maybe that's an idea. Maybe that would help as we think about being given to the world. Speaking of church gatherings, it's possible to attend a weekly church gathering and even a life group here at, at Elm City Churches is how we organize in two spaces like this. It's, it's possible to, do, to go to both of those places and still yet remain at a distance. It's easy to love everyone in some abstract philosophical and disconnected way it's it's easy you hear it all the time i love everyone do you where what what community are you part of oh i just love everybody yeah well how does that actually where does the rubber meet the road for that Do, do you get given opportunities to love other people do you have the opportunity to step into the mess with other people do you have the opportunity to know people's lives in community in that way? Do you love people? Lots of people like the idea of church. Don't miss this. Lots of people like the idea of church as community, but when we eat together, the, this theoretical community becomes a reality. Along with all of the mess, the quirks, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got quirks, folks. You and me, me mostly, but you too. Are we ready to step into the mess that people bring with them, including you and me, for the sake of being obedient to Jesus' call to be on mission together in community? I wanna encourage you, as I do in every opportunity I get, because it's this important, find a smaller community of people to do life with. Find a smaller community of people to engage with and to learn about and to carry each other's burdens and their joys and their sorrows and their ups and their downs. This space for us is in our life groups. And you know, we're at a pivotal moment because our life groups are winding down. In fact, this is the last official week of our gathering and then we're gonna go on a summer pause for about two months, and there'll be some little bits of activity here and there and kind of people gathering organically, and I'd, I'd encourage you to keep doing that. But know that we're also gonna ramp back up in the fall for our fall kickoff, and we are going to, you know, our, God willing, we're gonna have even more groups and more opportunities for you to experience mission and community. And here's what I wanna, just this is my plug, inconvenience yourself rearrange your schedule to make this. A, this, is, this is a priority of our church because we see how important it is to Jesus. Jesus could never have done this with this group of people if he hadn't been in close proximity for a long period of time. Could have done it. But he does it, And this is the example and this is the model that we have. Danielle and I, as I thought about it the other day as I was preparing this week, we've been attending, hosting, or leading a small group in some capacity for the last 15 years. I figured it out the other day. It's was like, what? This is crazy town. And these envir- these environments, I'm not even joking, these environments, as I've thought about it over the years, have been life-changing. Life-changing. And there's been ebbs and flows, and there's been like, you know, different seasons, But at this point, we literally do not know what it means to experience church as just a service for an hour on a Sunday because it has become so much more than that for us. So much more. The experience of small groups of people leaning into the things of Jesus together has produced tremendous results in our lives. It's grown us, it's shaped us, it's challenged us. And it is my hope that you will extend yourself to these ways as a way of building community because in that community, in those communities of people, within them can be found a tangible reality of grace and fuel for our mission as a people of God. We are not interested as a church in just doing a church service every week. We do not believe that that's how God is going to reach King. It's part of it's a huge part of our community, but it's not the whole thing. And so um, I would encourage you to, to kind of hear me as I talk. Understand, we believe that the way that God is gonna reach this city as we go in mission is in community together. And that's the way we organize in that way. It's not the only way, but it's a, it's a very important way that we do this. As we think about how we can apply some of these ideas and some of these spaces as we talk about, the table in all three spaces i think we can have a tendency to make mission very complicated we can have a we we have a tendency to think oh man well if i you know i got to do this and i got to do that and it's like no actually you don't there's not a whole extra lot that you need to tack on to your already busy life all we're talking about is being an intentional with your already schedule so we can make mission really complicated, but it's really not. It's, it, now, hear this. It's not always easy. It involves people invading your space and you invading people's spaces. Or going to places where you don't feel comfortable. Or maybe rearranging some of your life schedule that's already crazy busy enough. But it's not complicated. If you share a meal three or four times a week and you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be building up the community and reaching out in mission. We, compl- we complicate this way too much. Jesus has called us to be on mission with him and Jesus was on mission most of the time over a meal. So I wanna encourage you. Here's, here's a, a big kind of like challenge and encouragement we want to encourage you that before this series ends this is how we're going to apply this practically we're going to get super practical right now how can we do this how can we step into this here's how we can do it here's one way before this series ends it is our desire that everyone here that calls elm city church their community their home would seek out either one individual or one family from this community that you don't know very well yet but you'd like to get to know and ask them to a meal do you think we can do that? Because here's what I'm thinking. If we can't do that in here, we can't do that out there. We can, there is something about believers gathering together. There's something unique and special and, and a kingdom element that gets lived out within the context of shared meals between believers. If we can't do that, then man, I'm, I'm worried about our mission out in the world, I wanna encourage you, we're gonna do this. I know Albie and Beth are gonna do this. Um, we we wanna encourage you guys to take the time to seek out an individual or a family unit that you don't yet know in this community that you'd like to get to know before this series is over, to make that ask and to see if you can get together and just see what God does in that. See how he brings our community together so that we can be more in step for the greater mission of our church. Next week, we will continue by looking at Jesus's pattern for eating with strangers and unbelievers. He has a lot to say when it comes to eating with people who are not just like us, the stranger and the person who's not following Jesus. He has a lot to show us and a lot to say about that, but I want to leave you with this thought, As we kind of wrap this up, when the Old Testament prophets wanted to speak of the day when God's rule and reign would finally come in its fullness, and that's what we think about as followers of Jesus, it's what we refer to as our glorious hope when Jesus will return in the fullness of his kingdom and wrongs will be made right once and for all. When Old Testament prophets wanted to speak of that day, they depicted a great feast. Isaiah spoke of a coming day when Yahweh would prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine. Yeah. The best of meats and the finest of wines. In that day, when all that is wrong is made right and all that is broken is made whole, there is going to be an extravagant meal. I love this, I love that, and I don't think that that's just imagery. I actually think food is a kingdom activity that will continue on. And you're like, amen, amen. Thanks God for, 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 for keeping those 10,000 taste buds intact. We're gonna eat, we're gonna be with Jesus himself. And so here's what I wanna say in closing. So as I appreciate Gandhi's aversion to gluttony, and his desire to see hungry people fed, I have to disagree with his assertion that a full meal is a crime against God and man. For people who put their faith in Christ, a full meal, especially ones shared with others, is symbolic of our reconciled relationship with God through Christ, significant to our mission as a church and a pointer to the glorious feast to come, one in which we will one day dine with Jesus face to face.